and welcome to another episode of what I'm going to call for now the Freelance Society podcast uh, with me, Christian Stephen. And this is Dylan Roberts. Um, you know, we've been covering war together and separately for about, I think it's eight years, I think is what it is, maybe a little longer in places like Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Gaza, Somalia, and more. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I think one of the things that the long form conversational format is good for is being able to go into more in-depth topics that don't usually get uh, discussed. And I think surrounding especially uh, a huge byproduct of what we do that we don't talk about, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of even our friends, family, and the people who see our work and read about what we do don't know uh, a lot of the effects it has long after um, the stories have been published. And I think, you know, what's interesting is it's something that you and I haven't really discussed with each other in depth uh, before either. And uh, it's the largest subject of what is PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I know for my part, when I, when I first got into this and, and covering war, obviously I knew to some extent that, you know, there would be a possibility of seeing terrible things and covering terrible things, but I don't think I knew the extent of how it would affect me personally. Yeah. Um, I think for me, like I never had anything personally do like something to me. Like, yeah, we almost died and there was very close calls. Multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Um, but nothing like kidnapped or been injured, you know, um, the really yeah, the that's hardest my one thing. <laughs> yeah um for me it was something that after six plus years of constantly seeing intense imagery in a way uh not just with eyes but you know sight and smell yeah. and just over and over and over again non-stop eventually comes up and just hits you all at one time. Mm -hmm. And more when you're back, at least for me in the U S where your brain is literally processing and it's processing without even you kind of catching up to it. The subconscious. Yeah. So for me personally, it hit me in a way where I thought I was um, invincible to it just because nothing physically happened to me. I didn't get injured. I wasn't kidnapped, but I saw things that were very close to me. Uh, uh, in a weird way, a lot of it was children for yeah. some reason. That's not weird. That's like a, yeah. Yeah. Like I've seen many adults and I see what you mean. Yeah. But just thinking about it for some reason, kids, in my line of work, I, I was exposed to it in a really awful way. Yeah. Um, for you, um, going into it when you first started yeah. and now, um, what would you tell your, your young self now knowing what you went through? <sighs> Some advice for it. Well, that's such an interesting thing. Like I know, I know for where I'm at today, I, I wouldn't go back and change it mm-hmm. because, I mean, 
I know the way I went through it, the way I coped with a lot of the things that, you know, I saw, the way I coped with it was extremely unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know, I know that it also made me appreciate uh, the healthier ways that I deal with it now. I think, you know, uh, I should preface by saying for anyone listening, if you have, you know, history with post-traumatic stress disorder or, or trauma or anything like that, you know, just watch out for anything that may bring up any... Uh, anything untoward that you may not want to hear, but you know we're going to be discussing our version yeah. of it. I think, I think for me definitely going into it, I, I knew there would be some extreme things that I would see, but I wasn't prepared for. You can know something's coming at you, but until it actually happens, you're not prepared for how you physically or mentally respond to it. I think a good right. example of this is. Um, I think a good example of this is when we were at the Sinjar front line. Yeah. Um, and we were in the uh, armored car heading towards the front line and we had the uh, that mortar that hit, direct right. hit on the vehicle that didn't go off. It was a dud. And that's interesting in the way of like, it wasn't something like some of the other things that was traumatic or it didn't explode or anything, but just something so odd and something mm-hmm. so so strange in the way of, we should have died Yeah. at that point. And, and I know when I when I was asking another journalist about it, he was like, well, you need to reckon with the fact that, you know, you sort of owe the universe a death in some way. And I know mm-hmm. like when we got to the hotel room that night, you know, I went to the bathroom while you were sleeping and I was just having panic attack after panic attack. And I was so taken aback by why this was happening because it wasn't like the other times, like in Syria, uh, when I was kidnapped on the way out, you right. know, and there was a few days of torture with that. It was a completely different thing of how the mind was reacting to something that should have happened, but didn't. And that I think that was interesting. Yeah, and some backstory on the Sinjar. Yeah. Uh, this was at the time in 2015 where there was no coalition help. Yeah. It was the Kurds fighting against ISIS. And at that time, ISIS held majority of all of the city of Sinjar. And we were basically uh, coming up through the mountain and then kind of on the valleys where the city is. And we got to about... 30 meters within ISIS and so sniper fire armor, but the base that we're at going towards the front line, you have to get an armor vehicle and you basically are exposed to the ISIS fighters. And that was probably one of our first kind of moments where we're like, wow, this is, this is real. This is real. This is real. And you kind of have at least for me, I was just so focused you know, and not letting any emotion just what's the objective and everything. And I remember, yeah, coming back to the hotel, I just went to sleep. Yeah. You know, I just kind of like, I just kind of like, ah, F it. I'm not going to think about yeah, it. Yeah. You, you were FaceTiming with your dogs. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. It was just, I pretended it was some kind of like game, I guess, in yeah, a way. That's interesting. That's um, a coping mechanism, you know, yeah. to try and compartmentalize in the mind. Right. Yeah. And I've always been just a person anyway, like, okay, it was just, get through it, you yeah. know, why do we have to... But I think that's why it's so interesting that it hit you when you came home. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I want to hear a little m- bit more about that. Yeah, I I would say it really hit me the year end of 2017 and then all of 2018. The last front line um, part was in Mosul, July 3rd, 2017. Mm-hmm. And I haven't done anything since then. Uh, I've gone back to Iraq, but just normal stuff, you know, nothing, you know, crazy. And at that time it was relatively calm. 
uh, ISIS had been, you know, taken back, quote unquote, right. um, defeated, defeated. For in those a way. listening, I'm yeah. using extremely sarcastic. Right. <laughs> but I've never, I've, I haven't done any combat type filming since July 3rd, 2017. Mm. And since then I've, I, I think about it every single day. Mm-hmm. Not there. There's not a day I don't think about What was about that it. first week like? When you stopped, when you um, back. Yeah, back to the U.S. Yeah. Um, I I think mentally I was just like I'm re- I'm done. I'm I started hating the world. People that would just ask me questions like at the bars or anything like that, ask me how but, it was. And let me interject. This is after one of the trips where we'd basically seen the mass graves where they pulled out. Like, what was it? I think it was a six-month-old yeah. who'd been beheaded by ISIS. Yeah, that was before. That like, was in... Yeah, that was early in the year yeah, yeah. of that same year. So I was going to Iraq, like, yeah. nonstop, covering full Mosul operation. Um, and I was already a full-blown alcoholic by this point. Yeah. So I'd, I, I had stopped going because I was just in the bottom of a bar somewhere in the mm-hmm. world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I wasn't at quite to that point. But I think when I came back in 2017 and kind of was like, yeah, I'm done, yeah. then it all kind of hit me. Um, and then even in 2018, when we had a film at Sundance, man, that was probably the lowest time I ba- ever. I barely remember yeah. that festival. Yeah. I do remember you had that. I remember you uh, had that moment. I was just we were- mad at the world. Yeah. And, well, we, and were we, surrounded, had we were surrounded by all these pretty people who had their films about certain things. And look, we love cinema. You know, mm-hmm. we were just in It's a not their fault. We, it's not their fault at all. And this yeah. is another aspect of it. It's, you know, we were angry at the world for not understanding sort of the pain we were in from having covered these mm-hmm. things. But also we were, you know, surrounded by, you know, these celebrities who had their films there and no one understood where, where we were coming from and what we'd just seen, mm-hmm. you know, and what the film we were there with was truly about. Yeah. And for me, I had to, I had to really take time and I tried therapy and didn't work. Like I didn't know you went to therapy. I went for two days. (laughs) (laughs) You just went to sign the papers. It was just a guy that I found online. I was living, yeah, pretty much, man. And not the therapist's fault or anything, Mm -hmm. but it was a guy who obviously I've never been. Um, but it was probably at my, at for me, I just didn't have it. I was just doing it just to also, like make to me say feel that better. You've done it, yeah, yeah. I think it's people have to specialize in that too. I, I went to a therapist once after we'd gone to these places. At the end of the therapy session, you know what he said? Hmm. He said, "Well, I can't be your shrink, but we should hang out." <laughs> and now, to this day, he's one of my best friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I still don't do therapy, but there are people like my wife and. I think each person copes with it differently. Totally. I don't think there's a correct way. Uh, I believe there is a wrong way. Just not talking about it and hold it in. And that's, that's one of the wrong that ways, was yeah. my biggest problems was I just wasn't expressing it. And it just catches up with you. And just little things like I used to love going out and being crowds and see concerts and yeah. hanging out with friends. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting better at that. Uh, but it's always like, f- uh, what's the phrase? Flight. Uh, Fight or flight. Yes. Yeah, it's the lizard brain. Right. Yeah. And I still have that. Yeah. It's it's better now 
but I never liked going out into crowds, you know, public places. Um, and I used to not be like that. I used to go to the party and go hang out and everything. You were a frat boy. I was, but it wasn't like a traditional frat. Yeah. But yeah. Do you, do you want to tell everyone what your nickname in college was? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's just say I was, I did some fun things. <laughs> um, but I think I'm one of the few that did this kind of job that ha- was married. Like when yeah. we did Sinjar, I was a newly, it was our first year of marriage. Yeah. Which and bless your sweet wife. Yeah. yeah. For you, what was it like going to these places where you, a lot of it, you were, you're single. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I definitely had more of the devil may care aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, in that way, I think, I think I, I've, I thankfully had a lot of hubris knocked out of me because mm-hmm. I know I went into a lot of our trips with not so much a feeling of invincibility, but in a way of like, well, I don't care if I die. You know, I, I oh, had yeah. the longest time where I was like, well, I'll be dead before I'm 30, so I might as well do some really interesting things. One of the scariest things I remember, we were just in a hotel and in a real in Iraq. And like, I think the next day we were planning a frontline trip and you chugged a bottle oh, of like Sky Vodka or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Is that when I was up to like five downstairs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, for the list, it basically my reaction to it was because I got into. Was I supposed to say that? I don't know. It's totally fine. Yeah. But I mean, it's what the of oh, the name brand of the vodka. Yeah. It wasn't Sky Vodka. I don't drink that shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely wasn't. No, but absolutely, it was one of the ways that I coped with it was because I had this example of a lot of the other foreign correspondents, which was you were hard drinking, hard smoking, mm-hmm. going into the firefight, you know. And the thing is, I really took that to heart. But what I didn't realize was that when I would come back from uh, covering some of the horrible, horrible um, stuff that we did was that I would have a drink and then I would have another. And then the thing is it would just carry on until I was up to like four in the morning. And it became the only way that I could reconcile with the things that I was feeling was to soak it in booze. Yeah. But the thing is that when I went home then afterwards and I would have night terrors and uh, flashbacks, Mm -hmm. my instinct was to go for the drink. And it became that it wasn't so much a coping mechanism. It became a necessity to get through the day. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is you see it in films and it's like, oh, the edgy, cool alcoholic who's got a problem, but you know, still has that like vampiric look. What yeah. you don't get is that good looking people are being paid to put on makeup and act like an alcoholic. Being an alcoholic is way different <laughs> because yeah. it's, it's uh, paralyzing and it, it, it's emotionally stunting, but it's also, it just brings out the very worst part of you that's true, but mm-hmm. it also keeps wounds that need to be healed away from the, the uh, resolution and help that they so desperately need. And I think it also became the thing of, because I did it at such a young age and I was exposed to uh, all of this, I mean, it really, it really took, uh, it really sped up after Syria uh, for when I was when I went into uh, yeah. Syria for Welcome to Aleppo, and then on the way out of Syria, I was captured and then uh, held and tortured for four days. Yeah, and then managed to get out. And then I remember after that, that's when I was just drinking every day. Yeah, every day at you know didn't matter what time it was, and it became a fact of I had a great excuse to drink, mm-hmm. and that was part of the problem too. It was like oh that's Christian, he drinks a lot, but 
it also helped that I was charming when I drank and I didn't like, you know, uh, drive or kill anyone or anything like that. But it became a thing of like, oh, he doesn't know how to drive at all. And that's <laughs> Which is a good thing. We saved many lives. <laughs> yeah. But it was a case of I had an excuse to drink. But the one thing that uh, I didn't realize was that the very reason that I loved the job that we were doing and being able to do that thing well was taken away and robbed from me by alcohol. Yeah. Because basically by, by covering up uh, the pain I was feeling with booze, it also meant that I couldn't feel the feelings that were integral to actually finding and telling a good story. Yeah. I was lucky. I, I know for a lot of journalists, conflict journalists who do this job, they, they gravitate to alcohol or drugs or um, women. You know, because alcohol, drugs, and women are amazing. Forgot, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and for me, it was never like that. No. I would say, but when I do drink past my limit, I am a way yeah. different person. Yeah, it's better now. Yeah, but yeah. well, it, if you look at it this way, there was like before and after. Like I remember, there are his two examples. Mm-hmm. I mean, I the second example, well, the first example was we got drunk and you asked me to be your best man. Oh yeah. So that's and that was a good version. And then like cut to years later, and it was just sort of like, oh, we're a mess. Yeah. Like we're we're an absolute. It wasn't mess. cool. No. No. Well, even just we would go to the front lines, go back to Erbil. Yeah. And just get blitz drunk. Yep. And then wake up six in the morning. Work out. Work out a hangover and do it again. Go back to it again and repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. On top of like trying to get published and get a story and yeah. filming it and talking to our families yeah. and and trying to hold it together and hold it together, so yeah, it's I don't know if there is a correct way of doing it. Sure, shit isn't the way we did it. But the know. nice thing is coming out the other side from that mm-hmm. is uh, an important one. I think we're gonna have to cut that out. No, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the um, one of the most interesting uh, aspects of it is how it's sort of glorified in a weird way. The sort of romanticism of the job and the romanticism of seeing like, you go to all these crazy places and see these terrible things, but it's still human beings who are, yeah. who are there. I don't know if PTSD has a side effect of... Like when people ask me, so what's Iraq like? Yeah. Just as just a pop-up... Say? conversation yeah i think if someone were to ask me about anything else it would be totally fine for me to go in like oh yeah um if someone were to ask me who's your favorite football team i would go all day but if someone asked me patriots right no (laughs) dallas cowboys all the way uh can we please be sponsored by them (laughs) um but if someone asked me what's war like or what's iraq like What's have you almost died? I've literally been asked that question. Yeah, have I you almost that. died? I get before? that all the time. Yeah, and uh, it's not their fault. Yeah, they ask it. You know, um, it's just I find it weird that I mentally then kind of put on a defense. Totally, I do the same. Mechanism. But the thing is, how can you explain eight years of like, like we've we've had? So do like, you think that's our, a sign of PTSD? I think in many ways, but I think like how many friends have we had die? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like how many people do we know who've either been killed by ISIS or kidnapped or killed in Africa, you know, it, it is, or committed suicide. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just from, just from the collateral damage of, of, you know, uh, the places we've been in the stories we covered. So I think if somebody asks you, have you almost died? The only thing you can do is sort of 
close down a little bit and try and put an answer because it's really for their sake as well. Because you don't want to sit them down and be like, let me tell you how I really feel about this. And to be fair, not all those countries, it's not like when you land in the airport. Yeah, totally. And it's like guns blazing. We've been to some great nightclubs yeah. in, in war <laughs> Right. <laughs> exactly. I go to this karaoke bar. Yeah. Shout out to all my friends in Erbil. I miss them. But I've What's had... What's up, Amar? <laughs> yeah, Amar. Miss you. Uh, but some of my just best times hanging out with friends yeah. has been in those countries. And I think it, that needs to be, a, to be better explained, at least for our jobs. Yeah. It's like, why do we only focus when we're covering conflict? We have to focus on the really bad side, yeah. which is that's, that's our job and we have to do that. Yeah. But we shut out the also good times, you totally. know? Well, I mean, the thing is like a country with conflict is still a country. Right. You know, and it still has people in it who aren't all just, you know, trying to kill each other. It just isn't how mm-hmm. it works. But the thing is, that's that's sort of what fits into a narrative. But going back to if somebody asks you, what is war like? Let me ask you, what is war like to you? How war, would you explain that? War is a bitch. That's, what, war is a bitch. <laughs> that's my quote. Yeah. I, I think um, war is something that is, is the hardest to explain. Mm-hmm. It's no matter what photo or what video you show or even talk about it, you're never going to fully understand it unless you've been there. And it's not like a video game or movie type of feel. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just kind of, you're it's just happening and you're almost there just along for the ride yeah. in a way. Um, which is weird. Cause you can always just back out. You could just get back in the car and drive back to the safe place. Which we've never done. But you're just kind of yeah. like just programmed. Because you want to see what happens next as well. To keep going. Yeah. Well, you're programmed to see where will this lead. Lead. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Did you ever feel like um, you put your you put the danger above uh, for like getting a story? Was that ever like, how would you say? I, I remember one moment really clearly. Which, no. There's a, okay, this is like eight. But... Mm-hmm. One moment I remember really clearly was when I snuck under the border from Turkey into Syria. Shout mm-hmm. out to Turkey, still banned for life. Yeah. Uh, snuck under the they border. They have your from, passport still. So. They do have my passport and my dignity. Yeah. Uh, snuck under the Turkish border into Syria and was picked up by a jeep by the rebels on the other side. Yeah. And then we drove uh, for a mile. Uh, no, it was like two miles from the border to Aleppo, which is basically the road that gets... Uh, bombed, bombed gassed. by Assad constantly if you're going in and out. And I remember when I got in the car, like I had the option right there to get back out of the car and go back to the border and say, I've made a terrible mistake. Please let me back in. Yeah. But I remember getting in, in the Jeep and going, okay, here we go. This is it. And I knew from that moment until I got back that it would either be completely fine or I would be dead. And obviously those are two huge that's a massive difference between those two things but i felt completely at peace with the fact of i've made the decision now to go into this mm-hmm. because i need to find out what's going on in the city because this is at a time when nobody no foreign journalists were inside aleppo and if they were they were getting kidnapped and killed by isis right so basically i got in the jeep and was ducked under the back while we were going through isis checkpoints and jabad al-nusra and all of those and basically just like saying to myself yeah well let's see what happens mm-hmm. you know and i think that was that's the time that sticks out to me definitely of um, I'm doing something now that is that cannot be changed. Whatever happens next 
will always have happened, if that makes sense. Yeah, but you end up coming out with the first VR360 film in a war zone. Yeah. But it took yeah. a lot from you. If the question was, was it worth it? Yeah. Absolutely not. No, it wasn't worth it. Am I glad I did it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, you know, the, the repercussions of going on that trip and being captured and tortured for that film. Yeah, I remember that. I was like sending you just messages and messages, yeah. code words to making sure. And then Shake and bake. luckily our mutual friend contacted me and said, you're going to be okay. Yeah. At least you're going to be alive. Yeah, yeah. But it's going to take some time for, for you to get your head straight. Yeah, totally. And it, and it took about three years yeah you know it was just a slow fall into the abyss after that but i think um yeah it's such an interesting one i think the emotional twisting that comes from having survived war um because i know a lot of guys a lot of conflict journalists they just stay in it because it's only when you come out of it that you see how how fucked up it is yeah and so it's almost better to stay in the comfort of the 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 darkness because when you try and come back to normal sort of what's known as civilian life, that's when it's so overtly clear that what you've been through does not fit in. And it's really difficult difficult to communicate that too. Yeah. I remember when I was when I was in Mosul and had the experience where we had like six kids get blown up in front of us yeah. and we rode in an ambulance and we were just putting um in the ambulance and all of them but I one was re- I remember being really worried about you yeah, when you all but one died on the way to the hospital and uh, I remember that was the f- one of the first times where I was like I I don't feel like a journalist anymore yeah. so yeah it's um, everyone has their limits and breaking points each person is different when it comes to coping with this um, but I'm the same. I don't think I would, I wouldn't change it. Yeah. I, I would have done the same. Yeah. That's yeah. such an interesting point though. That sort of moment where you're looking at like the pile of bodies in front of you and you're like, what, the, what am I doing? What am yeah. I doing here? Like, it, the, like the world doesn't like, obviously there's an argument that the world needs to see this, but mm-hmm. what am I doing here? This is like beyond. Yeah. And putting pressure on your family. Totally. Like I'm running through any moment my leg could be blown off or yeah. get sniped and I'm running through IEDs and who knows what I'm stepping over totally. and my one step could be my last and I have a wife and amazing family yeah. back home. Yeah. You know, and you look at what all your friends are up to living yeah. normal lives and you go, why am I in like the ruins of the mosque where, you know, the Baghdadi, leader of ISIS yeah. declared that, you know, the forming of a caliphate is sort of like, Mm-hmm. I should be job hunting for something normal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, um, yeah, I think it's, you're, I, I always thought like, what if my brother went and did this? Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. I think I would be more stressed out. I would be very stressed out. Yeah. In so, a way, my worry was that, you know, what we do is selfish. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In a way of sort of like, we're putting our families through hell and back just so we can do this. But then that's, that's, combated by the fact of you know we have seen our stories affect i like to think real change and mm-hmm. you know change people's opinions of of uh of uh, certain parts of the world um yeah yeah i i think just like kind of like in closing um 
I do miss being, it's been some time since we, you know, been on the action. Um, you've done really great job of just, you know, staying healthy and yeah. fighting it. Uh, I still feel like I'm still figuring out, but I'm doing better. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be with us forever, no totally. matter what. Well, that's, I think that's the whole thing. It's sort of, can you, can you look at the devil in the corner and say, you know what, like, instead of just freaking everyone out, why don't you come in for a coffee? You know, because if it's going to be with you forever, you might as well make friends with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's good. Yeah. We'll see what the future holds. <sighs> well, that's it. That's the end.